In the closing part of this service, it's my privilege to turn you to the Word of God, and we turn tonight to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. <clears throat> Matthew, chapter 20. And I know that when we come to this time of the year, people uh, naturally expect a preacher to turn to Matthew 1 or Matthew 2 or Luke 1, Luke 2, those well-known passages where the birth of Christ is recorded. But the birth of the Lord, the Incarnation, is a doctrine that is found throughout the Scriptures in many, many places. And there's a verse here I want to leave with you tonight that the Lord laid upon my heart in Matthew chapter 20. And for time's sake, I will just read that one verse after we've had a word of prayer. We'll read this verse and look at it together in the closing part of the meeting. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we bless Thee for Thy presence and for Thy help in this meeting. We rejoice in what we have heard in the testimonies and also in song. We thank Thee for the congregational singing also and for these marvelous hymns of, of praise that have been raised up to Thee. And, O Lord, we do pray tonight that Thou wilt be with us as we continue on in the closing section of this meeting. As we're on the eve of that day when we especially remember the Lord's birth, O Lord, we pray that Thou wilt take Thy Word and use it tonight to bring our minds to see, to understand the true meaning, the, uh, the true essence of the coming of the Lord into this world, into a fallen world, among a, a sinful people, into the midst of sinful humanity. And, O Lord, we rejoice that we may turn our minds to the Scriptures and we may view the coming and see why Thou didst come and what You have accomplished in coming. And, Lord, we pray that Thy truth tonight will be brought home to many, many hearts in this gathering, both of those who are saved and those who are not saved. We pray for the online congregation that Thou wilt bless all who join with us by that means. Lord, give me help. Cleanse my heart. Fill me with Thy Spirit. And breathe on us now, we pray. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for His sake and for His eternal glory. Amen and amen. Matthew 20. And the verse is verse number 28. Please look at that verse with me as I just read it at this moment. And the Lord says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. These are the directly spoken words of our Lord Jesus Christ, words in which He climaxed the teaching that he was delivering at this time as is in view in this passage as a whole. He taught the truth that godly men, those who belong to the Lord, are men who are marked by humility in their lives and who must be willing to take the lowly place and serve God voluntarily and sacrificially. The greatest example of that truth is, of course, Jesus Christ Himself. That is what our text conveys to us. In His coming into the world, the eternal Son of God came to occupy the role of the servant, which is the essential meaning of the word minister. 
in this verse. It says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. The Lord Jesus Christ came to minister among men, to serve among men. Now, in the spiritual realm of God's church and the kingdom of God, there is no one higher than the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet in Him we see truly the greatest humility. From all eternity, He purposed to come into the world, as our verse says, not to be ministered unto, but to minister unto others. In various Old Testament prophecies, it is clearly revealed as you read through them that the Lord came as someone who would be a servant. He's referred to as the servant of Jehovah in different places in the Old Testament. He came to serve His Father in the execution of the will of God. He came to serve His people in their salvation, procuring that salvation, securing their deliverance, the pardon of their sin, their redemption from all evil. He came to secure all this and thereby apply unto sinners the benefits and all of the blessings that He won for them as a result of His service on their behalf. And here in the New Testament, such as in a verse as this, right in the middle of a whole passage where we're not actually reading of the Lord's birth as such or the story of the Incarnation as such, we suddenly find this marvelous statement coming from the lips of our Savior. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. On the surface of the text, there are many glorious truths that, as it were, jump out at us, that spring to our attention, that emphasize the true meaning of the truth of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is the miracle. It says, the Son of Man came. The Son of Man came. Those are words that powerfully show to us that the Lord Jesus Christ was eternally pre-existent. That is, before He was born, He was there as the eternal Son of God. He could not come. He could not say Himself here, even as the Son of Man came, if He had not existed beforehand. And of course He did. But by the miracle of the Incarnation, He came. That's how He arrived. That's how He entered into this world, into fallen humanity, into time, into history. It was by His birth, through His incarnation at the place called Bethlehem. And He stepped into the dimension of time. He left the dimension of eternity, and He stepped into the dimension of time in order to take our nature, our humanity, and bring it all into union with His deity. That is the miracle of all miracles. We have the miracle on the surface of this verse, even as the Son of Man came. There is also the man then. It says here, even as the Son of Man came. Did you know that that title, Son of Man, is one that the Lord uses of Himself over and over again? He repeatedly ascribes it to Himself, revealing to us that while He retained His deity, while He did not cease to be God, yet He did take our humanity. 
the Son of Man. He is called even by himself here, a name that underlines that he took our human nature, all for the purpose of saving sinners. We are members of the human race, aren't we? Across this congregation, that other congregation that God sees, I don't see it from this vantage point, the online congregation, we are dealing with as we ourselves think about it, with we who are members of humanity. We all need to be saved from our sins. We need to be delivered from our guilt. We need to be reconciled to God. We are all in desperate need of a Redeemer. But the point is, there must be a man who accomplishes that redemption, but who also is God. And therefore we have such a man, as this verse brings before us, even as the Son of Man came. And then there is the ministry. Christ came, as He says, to minister and to serve. Serve in terms of fulfilling the will of the eternal and the triune God, and all for the sake and benefit of sinners. And therefore, what an amazing truth that Jesus Christ, by that miracle, as the man, came to minister. He came to serve sinners. That's the amazing thing. He did not come to call the righteous, those who think they're all right, although they aren't. He came to call sinners, to save them, to rescue them. You see, you will never be saved until you recognize your sinnerhood, until you come to terms with the fact that you are lost, that you're as guilty as can be, that you're on the wrong road, that you're traveling to eternity quickly, speedily. The days of your years are running out. Time is passing by. The boundaries are set. You will not go a minute, even a second longer than God has appointed. You will leave the world. You'll leave your family. One of these years, whenever it might be, your seat will be empty as the Lord tarries. Your voice will be silent. Your death will have come. Your funeral will have taken place. All of these matters that we know are real and that are in a very powerful way so solemn, it will all have come to you. And you're not ready. And you know you're not ready because your conscience tells you and the fact that you have disobeyed the law of God haunts you. And you know that you're not prepared for death and eternity. And all because of your disobedience, leaving you guilty. The human race is guilty from beginning to end. From the first man, Adam, who sinned against God right down to the present moment, the whole race is guilty. The whole race deserves nothing but the judgment of God and the wrath of God for sin. And if we received that, it would be nothing more than we deserve. You must come to terms with this. You must see and understand this. And here's the amazing thing. 
Jesus Christ says, even as the Son of Man, that's Him, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give His life a ransom for many. I want just to look at this verse a little more and show you a few truths that spring out of it about the Lord in His ministry of saving sinners. I notice here, to begin with, His purity. Because He says, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life. His life. And those words do set before us the matter of the Savior's life. Yes, He really lived in this world. We know from the Word of God that He lived for those 33 years as the man. The wonderful thing is, of course, that the humanity that He took when He came into the world, He took it permanently. And that humanity He retained when He arose from the dead and He ascended back to heaven. I just say that in passing. It's one of the most wonderful facts of the taking of our humanity by Christ into union with His deity. He did not take it temporarily. He took it permanently. And forever, one of the trinity of the Godhead will be the God-man. He is now, and He will be forever. And what purity belongs to Him. And to Him alone, His life, that life that's impeccably sinless. I'm not going to go into verse after verse to deal with that particular fact or point this evening, but it's clearly revealed throughout the Word of God. We're looking here at the one of whom the Bible speaks so clearly, that he knew no sin, he did no sin, and in him there was no sin. And my dear friend, I can tell you upon the authority of the book of God that Jesus Christ is the one with this purity, unsullied purity. Purity that you and I can't even begin to understand in terms of the essence of it because you and I are so sinful. Even the most holy, godly Christian falls so far short of the purity of our Savior. You see, the whole point is the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed to us in His life as the one who is absolutely pure, impeccably pure for this reason, that you and I in all our sin need a Savior who Himself never sinned, indeed could not sin. And I never, I never hesitate to put it that way because that's the truth. He could not sin. But you and I need that kind of a Savior. We need a Savior who has done that which we cannot do, that is, give obedience to the law of God. The law must be fulfilled, the law must be kept, and can only be kept perfectly and fully by someone who himself was not only sinless, but had an impeccable humanity, so that he gave an obedience to the law, the law that you have broken over and over again by your sinning, an obedience that is perfect. You need a Savior who Himself is, is perfect, who gave a perfect obedience in order for you to be saved because you need a perfect righteousness in order to meet 
God. Where are you going to get? You might think, I'll do my best. I'm not going to go down the road of talking about people and their New Year's resolutions. They make them every year and they break them as soon as January 1st has come. I'm not going down that road, my friend. That's a fruitless, futile exercise. You're not pure. You're not holy. You're marked by sin. You're born in sin. You're shaped in iniquity. You've lived without God. You've broken God's law. If you're going to be in heaven, you need a righteousness that God will impute to you or give to you freely that has been procured by somebody else. And that happened in the life of our Lord. In the life that He lived for 33 years, He fulfilled the law. And therefore, there is a perfect righteousness. So there is His purity here in this verse. But then there's also His possession. Because the Lord refers here in these words concerning that life. He says, to give His life the life that he lived, the pure holy life that he lived, the impeccable life that he lived, there came a point where he had to give it up. And it says it here, to give his life a ransom for many. And that takes us into another domain altogether with regard to the law of God. You see, men and women, this is the vital thing. You can't preach the gospel without bringing sinners face to face with the law of God that they have broken. And so, we have seen already that in His purity He has kept the law to provide a true, perfect righteousness. But what did He do in His death? And that's what I mean by His possession. Where it says here, He gave His life a ransom for many. I speak about His possession here with regard to where we see Him when His life is drawing to close. I mean at the end of those 33 years. Oh yes, there he is lying in Bethlehem as a babe, but we mustn't stay at the crib or the cradle because that phase is gone. We mustn't stay only with his life that he lived because that section of the Lord's obedience is gone. Thank God fully and completely fulfilled. And we go to the cross. And we go to the cross to see him there doing something else with the law. What's he doing? He's enduring the law's penalty. He's coming under the wrath of God in that position of being the substitute, where he says here, to give his life a ransom for, for many. Notice the little word for. It signifies substitution. You know what a substitute is. I don't have to explain that. Someone who stands in in another's place. Someone who takes the obligations of that other person and fulfills those obligations. And therefore, we speak of the substitutionary death of our Lord Jesus Christ. When at the cross, He took our place. He was in that position of being the substitute. And in that position, He bore the wrath of God. He suffered the curse of God, the curse of the law, in order to provide what we need for our pardon, for our forgiveness. Because your sin that has broken God's law not only 
requires you to be given a perfect righteousness to stand accepted with God, but it also requires you, your disobedience, to find pardon. Where are you going to find that? Do you think along with imagining that you can work out merit with God by your good deeds, that you can pay for your own sin, so as God will be satisfied with you as a result of your works also. Millions do think that way. They follow religions that tell them, do your best, and your God, your deity, will be satisfied. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that upon the basis of the death of someone who took my place and stood in that position as a substitute, my whole pardon and forgiveness rests upon His work, not your work, whatever it may be. There's also then, after we've looked at here, His purity, His possession, there's His presentation. Notice those words, and to give, give. Yes, we just have seen that he's in that position of being substitute, but this takes us a step farther, and to give his life. And there's the presentation of what happened at the cross. It is the life offered up. How often the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of that. That well-known verse that our little ones in this congregation and, of course, throughout evangelical churches in general have learned in their earliest days where the Lord says in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And in that very passage, you will find that he speaks of laying down his life. I mean, John 10, in following verses, after verse 11, he refers to laying down his life. And all these terms signify this further truth of the presentation of the life of Jesus Christ at the cross. The presentation of a life that had been fully lived to the glory of God. And then he offered up that life in order to secure for men and women, for sinners, the pardon, the forgiveness that they need. But that brings me to this thought, and we see it in these words as well, and that is His passion or His suffering. Because it says here, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many, and we're at the cross, and we're seeing in that position of being the substitute, and we're seeing him present himself unto God, but in what form? Or what was the nature of, of, of the Savior's presentation? Did he present himself as someone who was a revolutionary or a martyr, or someone who was trying to bring about men uh, that their desire toward God as a result of seeing Him on the cross? No, not at all. He is there in the passion, the suffering of the wrath of God that came down upon Him. All of this is in this text. You see, sinner, 
And you must see this tonight, and I want you to see this clearly. Think of the sufferings of Jesus Christ and see thereby the horrid nature of sin. But also see in the sufferings of Christ the divine vengeance that sin brings. There's Christ. He's bearing sin. He is guilty of the sins of people like you and me. Those sins have been placed upon Him. He's now held responsible for them. I often say to this congregation, I say it again now, when the Lord was on the cross, He was not innocent. He was guilty because sin had been imputed to Him. Oh, not sin of His own, for He had none, but the sins of, of people like us. And immediately He's guilty. And that guilt has got to be erased. He has got to do something to remove the guilt of the sins of people like us. And what did He do? He took the full wrath of God. He took the equivalent of hell. And He suffered it. And He bore the curse of the law only in his body, but in his soul, as he gave his life, as our text tells us. And God's wrath has descended, and he's suffering within in a manner that you and I can't fully even begin to understand. He's forsaken. The Father turns away from him. He leaves him in the loneliness of the passion of the cross, the agonies that he's going through. Ah, may you see tonight how horrid sin actually is. You may treat sin as being something trivial. I know that sin among men always has been this way, and it still is today. The ungodly, the worldly, Sin is treated as something that is a frivolous matter, a light issue. There's nothing serious about it. There's nothing regretful about it in their hearts or their minds. They look at it as to be enjoyed and pursued and run after as much as they possibly can. But my friend, look at Christ on the cross as it were, view Him in your mind's eye. I don't mean in some form of an image, but think of the truth. Think of the facts. He's there. He's suffering. He's bearing the wrath of God. If you wish to know what sin is really like, look at the Scriptures that tell you that God poured out His wrath on His Son. And in seeing the horrid nature of sin, therefore see the awfulness of hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? You must come to see that you are on the road to hell. That may not sit well with you. You might even think that's a very offensive statement to make. My dear friend, it's not. 
It's designed to awaken you. Because sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And therefore, death in its ultimate form is the second death. That is eternal punishment and everlasting hell. And on that cross in His passion, Jesus Christ is enduring, again I say it, the equivalent of hell. There's also here the price that he paid. For it says, to give his life a ransom for many. There you have it summed up in a wonderful way in those words. The words of our blessed Savior. The word ransom. We all know what a ransom is. And Christ states that his life was actually a ransom or a price paid to save the lost and save them from the consequences of their sin. The word for ransom that's used here is used in the New Testament in different places, and it's always connected with the concept of a price paid in order to redeem people. Redemption is what you need, which means to set free. But to be set free from what? And of course we've seen that. To be set free from your sin, its guilt, its corruption, its condemnation, and have you delivered and brought unto a right standing with God. You need that kind of release from all that sin threatens to do to you. And here is where the release is found. And the ransom that our Savior paid and of course, the price that he paid is spelled out clearly in the Word of God. In 1 Peter 1, for example, not redeemed are we by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ of the Lamb without blemish, without spot. The precious blood of Christ. Paul says of the Corinthians, ye are bought with a price. What a price. The life of Christ. The blood of the Lamb. Laid down. Shed for sinners but securing their release and satisfying divine justice and procuring for them divine favor. This is what Christ is saying here. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give His life a ransom for many. My dear friend, that verse tells me that not everybody is going to be in heaven. No. And the Bible makes it clear that multitudes will be lost. Sadly, tragically, as they hang on to their sin and they will not repent of it, and they'll not turn from it, and they go on year after year, 
plunging deeper and deeper into that sin, living only for self, living only for their own ways, and then ultimately lost. But if you will come to Jesus Christ, you will find that He has made settlement by this ransom for all who trust Him. The price is paid. The benefits are afforded to those who will trust Him. Trust in Christ and you will be forgiven. All your sins will be washed away. May well be that in your conscience there is such a heavy load that you despair over this issue. And you tell yourself, oh my sins, there's so many, they're so great, they're so horrid, they're so dark, there's no hope for the likes of me. Do you feel that way? Ah, my friend, remember what the Lord has said, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. A price has been paid that has the value and the merit to remove all the stain, all the guilt, all the corruption, and bring you into a right standing with God. Because the Son of Man came to minister, to give His life a ransom for the many. And I pray that tonight you will Act for the good of your soul. You may have been thinking about this and dwelling on this. You're troubled about it. You're anxious. You feel concern in your conscience and your heart. You begin to see what sin is, the horrid nature of it, as I said, the corrupt nature of it, the wickedness of it, the abominable nature of it, and you're troubled and you're concerned and you wonder, you wonder, could I be forgiven? Is there any hope for a sinner like me? Well, listen to what the Savior says. And this night, come to Christ. That's what you're bid to do. Sinner, that's all you can do. Go to Jesus Christ and trust Him. Cast yourself upon Him, upon His finished work, upon His atoning sacrifice. It has satisfied the Father. He's well pleased with Christ's work. He will therefore be well pleased with the sinner who trusts in Christ's work. And He will save that soul. He will give you eternal life. Therefore, tonight, seek Him with all your heart. Mr. Jordan and I are available to talk with you afterwards. I pray that you will take the opportunity. Maybe there's a backslider here, or more than one, and it's time for you to come back. Time for you to get things sorted out, as we say. By faith we are saved. By faith we return to the Lord. And we receive the pardon that He offers. And I urge you to come.
and seek Christ while he is to be found. Let us bow together in prayer. And may the Lord use his word. Again, I renew that invitation. Maybe your very first time here. And we're glad to see you. You might think, I have to wait another time. No, you don't. Seek the Lord now. Call upon Him now. Seek out help tonight. Wait no more. But come at once to the blessed Redeemer. And may you take that step. May you call upon the Lord as you sit there in your seat. Repent of your sin and cry to him for the cleansing that you need. Let us sort of word of prayer. Lord, bless thy truth. Use it for thine own glory. Write it on hearts with power, with blessing. May sinners see the truths that this verse contains. May they flee to thy Son. May they be drawn by the power of the Spirit. May they come to rest in that finished work of the Son of God and the Son of Man. We pray this in His name and for His sake and for His eternal glory. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, fellowship of the Son, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all those who know and love Thee, both tonight and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.